0: two parts I will not get I will not get finished with all of this message here this morning um, <clears throat> ended up being just about eight pages of just the sermon notes alone um, Acts chapter 21 and we're going to look at the first 16 verses it is it is Paul's traveling back to, Jerusalem concluding his third missionary journey. Now, to set context, we're going to also read two verses in chapter 20 that I need you to see. All right, And I probably will not get out of these two verses today. Look at 23 and 24, chapter 20. Save the, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to back up to verse 22. I'm going to back up to verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go, listen to this now, this is important, bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost, witnesseth in every city, saying that bounds and afflictions abide me. He knows what's coming. Already, before the conclusion of his third missionary journey, and he says this in 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul knows, this is going to be clear, especially given to next week's portion, into the second point. Paul knows what the will of God is, and he knows what awaits him. All right? Now verse 21 and verse one. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coas, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload, unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we, ac- we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took, uh, we took ship, and they returned home again. And we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, uh, uh, we that were of Paul's company departed and came up to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had, and the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea, uh, from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. When he had come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall uh, the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth his girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he had heard these things, both we and they of the place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not only to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. Then went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them Nathan of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I, I do love you. I ask your blessing now upon the message. Uh, Lord, please, I pray that you control what I say and how I say it. I I pray that we begin to look at such an important point that we're going to see here from this text. Lord, that your spirit would drive it into the hearts and minds. Lord, that it would change us, that it would strengthen us, that it would help us. Help me to stay true to your word. Lord, again, control how I say it so that I word it right, so that the understanding is present, so that the conviction can hit, so that it can change us. So, Lord, please don't, don't allow me to interfere with your word and how it needs to be spoken. Lord, so please bless today. I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray they would have repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, even this morning. Lord, I pray that you work. I pray and ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> when we are given a task to accomplish, let's say you're setting out on maybe a project at your house or something that you want to get done, something you know that, that needs to be done. Usually you sit down to determine, all right, what will it take for me to accomplish this goal? What do I need, uh, uh, what do I need to possess? What do I need in order to do it? What will it cost me? What's the price if I'm going to do this task, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, maybe it's a, a new deck, a walkway, whatever it might be. What's it going to cost me if I do this? Next, you're going to have to ask yourself, how much time is this going to take? All right. Do I have time to get this done? Thirdly, you're going to ask yourself, or, or fourthly, whatever I'm on now, when can I get started? All right, with, with what it's going to cost, with what I need to do, with how much time it's going to take, when can I get started? And maybe many of you have even other questions you ask yourself before setting out to determine if you're going to do something. It's based on gathering all that information, then we determine the priority of the task based on what is involved to accomplish it. By the way, if you don't go through those steps, you're going to quit so many projects, it's pathetic. You're going to start something and quit and start something and quit. Why, you never count the cost. I think we all would agree that the greatest task or tasks is the will of God. There is nothing that should take priority over it. Nothing. How many of us, though, will be able to say at the end of our life, in truth, I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I have did what God asked me to do. I finished it. Paul, as we know, I'm quoting him, was able to say just that. He finished the will of God for his life. So, if we're going to determine to do that and the tasks involved in it, you know what? So, what is it going to take for me to do the will of God? How much will it cost? When should I get started? Etc. In our text this morning, we see some very important principles to accomplishing the will of God. Of what we all need in order to finish it. To accomplish it. I think you should listen to, I think all messages you should listen to carefully. Why, if you're going to come here, why waste your time? I mean, this is the time when you actually get the Word of God. Everything else is to support that and promote it from the singing, everything else, just for this time frame. But boy, this is important. This can help keep you, either get you on track or keep you on track in life. Don't blow this off. Because the most important thing you will ever do in life is knowing and doing God's will. Each day, each week, each month, and, of course, over the course of your life. The most important thing when you get up tomorrow morning, you can, you can seek to accomplish what is God's will for my life today. It's a Monday morning. Lord, what do I need to get done? You know where he's going to start with, don't you? Open that book sitting on your shelf that you haven't opened in weeks. Get on your knees. Pray. Within our text, again, I think I'm just going to get, I, I know I'm only going to get into the first point this morning. But there's three things here that we see in Paul's life that he is showing us by clear example of what we need to do to accomplish the will of God. Number one is direction with conviction. Direction with conviction. You have to know this is what God wants because others will question it. Number two, determination through diversion. Determination through diversion. And number three, dispose yourself to pay the cost. Be ready. So as we see here, let's set the context now for what's taking place in chapter 21. Paul is concluding his third missionary journey. We come to the close of it today in this text. He finishes arriving in Jerusalem. We left off last week at looking at his final discourse to the pastors in Asia Minor in the, in the area of, of Ephesus and that great church that, that began in, in Ephesus and started those other churches in the region, the same churches you see in the book of Revelation. Paul weeping with them and praying with them, knowing what was coming. And so here's Paul. We pick it up where Paul now leaves them and he, and he gets on a boat to travel back to Jerusalem. And our text, these 16 verses simply deal with what took place with him just getting back to Jerusalem. So let me show you that. Josiah, would you go ahead and pull that slide up right now? I want you to be able to envision this so you can see what's taking place. I think that's important. By the way, when you're reading your Bible and you come to sections like this, just take an extra second. Flip back to the maps. Look, picture at what's taking place so you can see what's happening. See if I can... Oh, it's working good. Alright, so we're just worried about a small portion of this. My leaf is right here. This is where Paul had called for the leaders of Ephesus to come down, as well as all the churches right here. It had been a little strain of them right here in this, in this region. So they come down. So Paul takes off from Miletus. And his very first, first stop is it's actually a place called Coas, right here. This is where he stops. This would take one day. all right. And what he's using right now for this first portion is simply a small coastal vessel. It takes him a full day to travel these distances. So from Koas he goes to Rhodes, the overnight there, uh, still another small coastal vessel to uh, Patera. Now, this was a major port. It's here where Paul determined, I'm never going to make it by Pentecost to Jerusalem. That was his goal. Remember that. Remember, by the way, he's known God's will for a long time. He has men accompanying him with with the offering to go to Jerusalem from each of the regions of the Gentile churches to go back to Jerusalem. He's known what God's asked him to do for quite a while. Alright? So he's in Patera Here... Uh, of course, he's going to meet with some believers here. Whenever he could, he met with believers that were there. So we'll, uh, we'll, actually, I'll get into that, but places that he did stop. So he finds an ocean, a big boat now, is what he finds, that can cross the Mediterranean. And so he, he gets aboard that. He crosses the Mediterranean. It mentions how they had Cyprus was on their left-hand side as they came through here. They cross it, and this is going to take not one day. This is about a four- to five-day journey, depending on the ocean, is what it would take them to get to, and this is where he landed, right here in Tyre. Here in Tyre he lands, and then, uh, of course, they're going to, they're it doesn't have it on here, but he actually stops. I'm surprised he don't have it on there, it's part of it. Ptolemaeus, he's going to stop in Ptolemaeus, and then go down to Caesarea, um, and then from Caesarea unto Jerusalem. Now, Caesarea, was, and we're not going to get into it this week, that was the political capital, the Roman center of government, for Judea. That's, that's where Pilate's house would have been in, in, in the days of Christ and whatnot. would have been in Caesarea and it's right there. So this is what we're looking at is what took place from the time Paul left Miletus until he gets to Caesarea and we, our text leaves off with him leaving Caesarea to head to Jerusalem. Alright, thank you. That's good enough for that. <clears throat> so, Paul was in the midst of these travels along the way and Paul already knew that this was already taking place. We just now have it recorded in these specific locations of, of people coming to him and saying, listen, you're heading here, and, and you are, you're going to Jerusalem. I mean, the, 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 the correct biblical prophecies were being told to him. You're going to be bound. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be turned over to Rome. Paul knew what was coming what was coming and it's along this journey though that we get some very important principles on how to accomplish and finish the will of God number 1 i said is direction with conviction i started off by reading back in chapter 20 verses 23 and 24 where Paul makes clear what his direction is. How none of those things move me. I'm heading to Jerusalem, neither account of my life dear unto myself. Now listen, this is what he says. So that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry, who did he receive this task from? He's specifically talking about going to Jerusalem. This is going to be so important for Paul to finish the will of God because of what he's getting ready to hear. He said, So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Remember, in context already, he's talking about Jerusalem and what's going to happen to him there. He said, you know what? I have received this from God. So Paul has direction. He knows what God wants him to accomplish. And with that, it's essential, there's a measure of conviction. He knew what the Lord wanted him to do. This was the will of God. Because of that direction, and it being what God wanted, this produced, and it should in your life as well, a measure of conviction. This has to get done. Done. This has to be finished. This has to be accomplished. Doesn't matter if, if what understanding you have or what level. None of that comes into play. If this, this is clear direction, and with that should come conviction. You will do very little in life for God without conviction in your direction without knowing this is what God wants. See, the problem will be this. If the conviction isn't strong, please listen to this. If the conviction is not strong in regards to God's direction, you will lack the courage to finish it. You want examples? Let's go through some examples. Let's go through some examples of those who did not have clear conviction as compared to those who did. Numbers, chapter 13 and 14, is when they sent out to spy the land. Within the nation, but let's just consider the spies themselves. Two of the, of the twelve have clear clear direction as to the will of God with conviction which then produced because of the conviction, because this is what God wants courage. It then produced courage. You don't have to turn there. I have have it in my notes. I'm going to quote from you from Numbers chapter 14. It says, starting in verse 6, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. What's happening here, I need to set the context, don't I? They have returned. But they saw the giants in the land. They saw the walled cities. The children of Ana- the Anakins were there. Those were the giants. And they're like, it, it, the majority of them didn't expect that. They're, they thought this was going to be a cakewalk. Listen, God's will is never a cakewalk. It will always require faith. There will always be battles. And so, so they head in, they see that, and they're coming back and reporting to the nation. the nation hears it, and, and they, they, they hear the testimony of the ten. I mean, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's nothing we can do. We can't go in. And Joshua and Caleb are listening to this like, what in the world? There was something different about those two men as compared to the ten. Listen to me, the difference was this. The two of them were about God's will. They had clear direction from God of what should be accomplished, and that brought with it courage. Now, let's read. <clears throat> and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, Listen to their words. The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, if God's in this, which they know He is. This isn't, this isn't them speaking of, well, we're not sure. It's saying, listen, this is what God is in then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. He says this, and they, they, both of them say this, only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Because they understood this, this makes all the difference in life. It does. When you know God is in this it brings that conviction with courage. Again, and that level of boldness doesn't mean fear isn't necessarily present. I know that from New Guinea. I mean, the Lord had to do so much to get me to surrender to go to New Guinea. I, I wasn't one of those all about the, rom, you know, the romantic side of the mission field. I was like, I don't want to go. Just let me pastor here. And I knew as it was getting closer and closer and closer, the Lord put me in a place when I did say yes. Now, I'll, I'll get more to that next week. It'll fit a little bit better at another point. Lord put me in a place where I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I will be disobedient to God if I don't go. Know what that brought with it? Conviction with clear direction. And the courage to get on a plane and step over there. That's not the only example in Bibles compared to those who had that conviction with God's direction of what God wanted done. And their life was about that. As compared to those who do not. 1 Samuel 17. David. Not even in the army. I mean, this is a guy that simply, based on a simple principle, nobody knew the Philistines are bred for us. We can take them. See, these, these are defiers of God. We serve the true and living God. So he heads down. He sees what's taking place, and not a single man willing to fight Goliath. I'll do it. This isn't a problem. Why? He was a man that understood. He understood. Listen, this is this is simple. The Philistines, God will give them to us. That's direction. With that direction that was clear in David's mind came that conviction, which brought with it courage. That he was willing to put his life on the line. And we all know what happened. The battle didn't last but a few seconds. Here's the 16-year-old with all the men of the army watching. What was the difference? David believed what he's getting ready to do was the will of God. Period. It was the will of God. With that direction brought conviction, which carried with it courage. Many times when we step out to do the will of God, if the level of conviction isn't strong, the courage isn't present. We heard the song this morning, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Same thing. Want to know what they knew the will of God was? Clear direction with conviction, not to bow down to idols clear direction with conviction which brought with it courage as compared to the rest who didn't have that measure of conviction. I mean, those three men, what amazing courage they did display when you read that willing to stake their life, to give it up for that spiritual principle that is simply the only God you worship is the one true God. That's who you bow before. And yes, we will give our life if necessary. Wow. That was some courage. They had no idea that God was going to rescue them. God never came down and said, you got this. Different than the others... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego approached this with, so be it. When they told them to get in the fire, we'll get in the fire. We're not bowing down. They had a measure of conviction about the will of God, and it brought with it courage. I don't have time. This is, I'm not even going to get through the first point here this morning. I've still got several more things I want to cover. But Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, another example of somebody who knew the will of God, that measure of conviction with it. When the will of God is your life, when Colossians 3, 1 and 2 is true in your life, that's what brings the measure of conviction with the will of God. All those examples, including Paul, are men who had the courage and the commitment to do God's will. They had clear direction about what needed to be done and the courage to get it done. It is this level of conviction as to God's will and God's leading. To believing in something enough to abandon self. To see it come to pass. For God's will, you will need courage with conviction. Now, we got, we got to make this as practical as possible. Okay? When we're dealing with something with the will of God a level of conviction to follow it, there's something critical that goes with this, and that is purpose. Objective. With direction comes a purpose, as Paul stated it in verse 24. As Shadrach, Meshach stated it when they stood before the king. As Joshua and Caleb stated, the goal before the people. It is so important, listen to me, that you have a clear, strong, and right goal in life. Or listen to me, the level of conviction you will need that comes with courage will never be present. So often we get distracted in life. That we don't even look for what is the best goal. What is the best objective. Here's our problem. When, when we go through the process, because self is so much in control, when we're even, even, even in regard to God's will, as well as other things in life, but this is true in God's will as well. That we actually put self first. Okay, with self-preservation in mind, let me think on the will of God. That's true. Instead of, Lord, instead of Romans 12.1, Lord, I'm yours. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm not going to put limits when it comes to your will. Paul had a clear goal, to obey Christ, to do his will. And in this particular task, get to Jerusalem. You will testify, this is going to lead you, testify to me before kings. I mean, it's going to lead to him, the events he's getting ready to, is going to unfold, I think is, is, is even far greater than what Paul's going to realize. I mean, it'll lead to Caesar's household hearing the gospel. So if I was to ask you right now, what is your greatest objective in life right now? What's your goal? The devil will attack here. Men can be goal-oriented. Really, all of us can be. So, what the devil tries to do is to get you to set a goal that is not best. All right. Paul's ultimate goal. I don't have time to turn there. Like I said, I'm having trouble getting through the first point here, right now. Paul Paul's goal is stated in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, as well as you can get into Philippians chapter 3. All right? In chapter 20, when he's writing back to the church at Philippi, they were worried about him. He's in prison, you know, and yet he's doing great. Because his life was about the will of God, not his. He abandoned self. And he said, In verse 20, before you get to verse 21, verse 20 is why you have verse 21 where it says, for for, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Without verse 20, 21 doesn't exist. And he said this. He said, my purpose of life is to magnify God, whether by life or by death. When you get into chapter 3, he words it like this, that I may know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That was his goal. That was his objective. From that is where all of a sudden, when that's your goal and your objective, and then the Lord comes with a task where that's your goal. It's focused on him, and then here comes a task. Whew. This is how I can fulfill that goal. Guess what comes with that immediately? Conviction to get it done, which brings with it courage. Now, I want you to listen to this. This will help you if you're a mom, a dad, at work. I'll Make this even more practical right now. All right. I mentioned earlier that the devil will attack this area to keep you off course. All right. He'll let you do a lot of good things. But he has to distract from the primary goal. That I may know him. All right. You've got to avoid weak and wrong objectives. Weak and wrong goals. Let me give you examples that too often happens in Christians' lives. My objective, my goal is to know the Bible. Guess what I'm getting ready to say? That should not be your objective. That should not be your goal. It's the wrong goal. The objective is to know God. The means in getting there is the Word of God. So the conviction comes to be in the Word of God because of the ultimate goal to know Him. The goal is simply not to attend church. Although we need to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday That should be by conviction. But what's actually going to drive that? is when you actually have the true, the true goal and objective in place to know God. If, that is your, if that's what you're desiring, if that is your goal, the will of God to know Him, and now you know a task is that God has given the local church and that we should not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. Do so you know what comes? A conviction to be faithful. Not because of church, but because of God. I remember what came to mind. He's, he's no longer here. He's actually been gone for, for several years. I uh, was a former member. Good guy. And <clears throat> I knew from all the discussions and time I spent with him that there was a, there, he was very much obsessed with prophecy. Prophecy. I mean, it wasn't too often he didn't come by shake my hands. Are you ready, man? This is what's going on here in the middle this. I mean, he could tell me. Boom. I mean, there just really wasn't a service. He'd come in and didn't start off that way. Then one day he asked to talk. Went in there, and there was, there was a measure of, it was a good measure of struggling taking place. And I said, Brother, I said, let's back up. Man, your world's falling apart. He said, Tell me about your devotions. Oh, I really don't have them. Only thing he studied was prophecy. You know what his goal was? Bible prophecy. I got news for you. It doesn't matter where we're at in history right now, God knows. Your goal should not be to figure out where we're at in God's prophetic timeline. Your goal should be God. Because the devil had a weakened, pathetic goal in his life. When things went south, so did he. The goal is God and His will. Listen to me. You've heard me say this before. It goes right with it. The goal is not obedience. It's not. Obedience is the means to that goal. The goal is not a position. That's what Judas thought. Did you know that? Wait. Remember what they all thought? The kingdom is coming. We're going to overthrow Rome. I mean, the Messiah is going to establish a kingdom. And Judas was there. Hmm. If I'm with him, I get a position. With Judas, the goal was never God. It was never to know Him. Do you know how often that we simply try and use God to accomplish our will? Sad. Don't use God for your will. It's about abandoning our will for His. The goal is not Reading every day, attendance, to get an attendance button, none of those things. The goal is God. And you put things in place to achieve that goal. By the way, parents, listen. This will help you parent. Because the goal with your children is not obedience. Do you know how often we parent to the end of simple obedience? We do. You know what happens when you're not around? there isn't the conviction anymore to be obedient. It's not present. Your goal as a parent is to have your child love God and thus desire to be obedient. Know what happens then? When you're not there, the conviction is in place because it's the right goal. It's the right goal. When you have the right purpose, that noble goal for which all of us were created. It's there you want to know and you want to finish God's will. And with that, that ultimate purpose, when, when you begin to realize, I mean, there's so much more that goes with this okay it's, it's when you realize all that the Creator's done for you, when he saved you, what it took to save you and, and and here it is the Creator mindful of you, this little dirt speck that is disobedient with the sin nature and yet that he will use you it's there when you get uh, when, when that that will of God and glorifying God that becomes the thrust of your life that you begin to look for any task, whatever means. That, that, that is in place for you to accomplish that task. And with that, every time will come conviction with that direction, which will bring with it courage. Next week, we'll start to look at what Paul did when diversion came. Because you're going to have to, when this is in place, you have to have a measure of determination through all the distractions, through all the diversions that will come up with heads bowed and eyes closed.